good to see you. We've got a good crowd today. I'm glad you're all here. If you haven't already, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Yes, kids, you are dismissed. Kids, you're dismissed. Enjoy your class. 1 Thessalonians 4, we're looking at verses 13 through 18. Today's sermon is titled, Let's Encourage One Another with These Words. They're not my words. They're actually uh, what Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica. But I will tell you, today's sermon, God's Word being presented, is all about encouraging you and me And it is very encouraging. If we can, let's just look at the first verse together. We're going to read verse 13, guys. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul's goal in this is to inform the Thessalonian church about a matter that needs to be addressed. Timothy brought back a report, and there's something that needs to be addressed here, and he is appropriately informing them uh, in this matter. And what is it? Well, it's about those who are asleep, and I'm going to explain that. He is encouraging the Thessalonians, telling them that those Christians who have died, which we say fallen asleep will be raised when Christ returns. They will see their loved ones again on that day. They do not have to grieve as others do who have no hope. Who are these that are grieving? Well, of course, it's those who reject God. It's those who are rejecting the death and resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, they're rejecting the Savior. Those are the ones who have no hope. But he's saying, your loved ones who have died in Christ They have not missed out on anything. Paul had previously lived with these people. We know that. He taught them. And he would have taught them about Christ's return for sure. We know Paul. We've read all his letters. He would have talked about Christ's return. So they know. However, we we don't know what the full discussion was of these eschatological concepts meaning we don't know what the full discussion was. What was the dialogue about the end times with this group of people? We don't know how far he got in his teaching before he had to leave. If you remember, a great mob was formed, and he had to leave abruptly. He had to depart and move on because they were coming after him. So this, of course, makes interpretation a bit challenging, a bit challenging. But... We see that Paul is answering a question, hey, which may or may not satisfy our own theological, our own end-time questions, but he's answering a question nonetheless, especially in reassurance. And the reassurance is in the midst of suffering grief, not the sequence of Christ's return. We're not looking at a sequence of events. I will explain that as well. But make no mistake, this is about the dead in Christ being raised. Let's look at our next two verses, 14 and 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring uh, with Him those who have fallen asleep. 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive are, and are le- who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. There's that word again. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's part of our salvation declaration. That's part of our confession, is it not? I mean, it's in Scripture that we believe that He died and rose again. So death and resurrection is a very important thing. In fact, Romans 6, 5 says this, for if we have been united, I'm waiting for it, Romans 6, 5. I hope you all are anticipating it. Here we go. Is it coming? Romans 6, 5. There we go. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Folks, we are united in this death and resurrection. Death is where they're having their problem. This is the issue, understanding the concept of those who have fallen asleep. So we got to talk about this word sleep. Sleep was a common metaphor for death. It was a euphemism, if you will. Um, Those who sleep and those who have died, they share similarities. Let's face it, folks, there's been many, many cases where a loved one thought uh, their loved one was asleep and they had already passed. That happens. And when you look at somebody asleep, it does look, it's similar. But there's another thing that's very similar. Just as a sleeping person expects to rise in the morning, Christians who have died will experience a bodily resurrection and they too will rise again. Therefore, sleep is symbolic of death. We have to understand that because there is a big misunderstanding about sleep. The concern that Paul is addressing is whether their dead, right, their fellow Christians, their loved ones, would be left behind at the return of Christ. That's the concern. This church, if you remember though, in chapter 1, this church possessed steadfastness of hope, or what we would call endurance of hope, right? We see that in chapter 1. They believed that Jesus would return and that His coming, this return, was imminent, meaning that it could happen at any moment. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, they're probably thinking in, days, in terms of days and weeks, okay? They might not have been thinking about the long term. It was closer to them. So, were they believing in the concept of what we call soul sleep? I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Many, many people believe in soul sleep. Unfortunately, there are theologians in the Christian realm who believe in soul sleep. What is soul sleep? Well, that's the soul, the spirit, right? The person attached still to the body at the point of death, asleep until Christ returns and they're woken up. Folks, that's a false teaching. Is it taught still? Absolutely. But like so many other false teachings, that is a false teaching by many. Where is the soul? Where is the spirit? Where is the person, the personality, the life? Well, that person has gone to be with Christ. I have seen many, many people deceased. When you go into a hospital and they've passed, I can look at him and go, well, that's not her. Well, that's not him. You can see him in the casket at our funeral services. 
the covering, the shell that held the person, but it's not them. They're in heaven. I want to show you some verses here. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 and 8 says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Did you hear that verse? When we are here right now at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. But then Paul goes on to say, I'd rather be away from this, this body, and be at home with the Lord. You can't be at home in the body. It's one or the other. In fact, he argues with himself about this. I love this. Philippians 1, 21 through 24. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Here Paul is saying, listen, to die is gain. That sounds crazy. I'd rather live. No, he's saying to die is gain. Well, what's the gain? He tells us later, as I, as I argue with myself about this, the gain is to depart the body, to be away from the body so that he can be with Christ. And what does he say? It's far better. I'm sure if Paul could expound on these words, it would have been even larger. But he's saying it's far, far better. Believers who depart this world, church family, step into heaven. That is where they are. You feel the loss, the L-O-S-S, you feel the loss. Listen, I've I've got a lot of funerals under my belt now, and I had, whether it's in here and they're sitting in the reserve section right here in the sanctuary, or we're at the graveside and I see them in that front row, I can tell you that they're either looking at me or they're looking at the ground or their eyes are closed, or the majority of the time they're looking forward at the casket or whatever's holding the remains because of the loss. And it's okay to grieve. We are to grieve. We're to wail, mourn, cry. We just have lost somebody. It's okay to feel that pain, that attachment. But what I want to get at is you feel that loss, you have not lost them, L-O-S-T. You can't lose someone when you know where they are. That's just a fact. So, when they are away from the body, they are at home with the Lord. The soul does not sleep the body sleeps, and you are away from that body. Now, Paul says something really profound in verse 14. He says that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This is tough. This is tough. There's two parts to this. Is God bringing those from heaven with him? Or is God raising and then bringing with him those he's raised? There's two parts. I think it's both. The text is not specific, but knowing when we die, and follow me here, knowing that when we die that we, our spirit, is in heaven, we can't argue that, right? We got that. On that great day, when the dead rise first, wouldn't it be reasonable to believe that the spirit is being reunited with the glorified raised body? If Jesus, we're in heaven with the Lord, and He's going to raise these bodies, isn't it reasonable that He brings us with Him, that we are reunited? I mean, those of us who are still living 
and that are transformed in the twinkling of an eye, we will be united with our changed and glorified bodies like that? I believe so. And then where will God bring with Him those who have been raised? This is where multiple views come into play, and I'm going to present them all in a second. But where is He taking us? Is He taking us to heaven? Is He bringing us to the present earth? Is He going to wait and bring us to the new earth? So, as we attempt to answer this tough question, it's important to know something. That's not Paul's agenda. It's not. Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica that not only will your dead be resurrected, they're not They're not missing out because God does not forget. They're not missing out. Not only are they being resurrected, they're going to go first before you even, if you're still alive before you even when Jesus returns. That's what he's stressing. Let's move on. Look at 16 and 17. By the way, all this is going to come together here in a second. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. I use this Scripture in almost every funeral because it's important for those who have suffered the loss to understand what's going to be happening with their loved ones. But I got to tell you, wow, there is a lot to unpack here. God descends from heaven with this great cry of command. Christ Himself will usher in this completely amazing event. It's going to be visible, and it's going to be heard. Will, will it be one great sound, do you think? Will it be three distinct, distinct sounds? I don't know. Whichever it is, I can tell you it's going to be loud and it's going to be seen. Now, I cannot tell you if unbelievers will be able to hear and see this. I do not know if they'll understand what's happening. But what I can tell you is that Christ is gathering to Himself His people, His church. At the very sound of the trumpet, we will go out to meet the Lord. We are being summoned We are being called, just like the trumpet called those people in the Old Testament, that call of the trumpet. We are being called. So those who were alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Who's that? Well, the dead. The dead in Christ will be risen first, right? So we're going to be caught up together with them, which brings me back to God will bring them with Him. Let's talk about this caught up. The Greek is harpazo. It means snatched up, grasped, grasped uh, quickly, if you will, or seized hastily, uh, taken away. We call this the rapture. Although the word's not there, that's what caught up means, which derives from raptura, which is the Latin translation of the Greek term. So suddenly taken, right? Caught up. This is a real future event that will take place. I mean, whether you're walking on earth or you're walking in heaven, you are a part of this event. So, I mentioned earlier about people debating a sequence of events. For instance, well, when Jesus comes back, 
He's going to bring with Him the dead where? Some think heaven, my view. Some think no, present earth. Some think no, it'll be the new earth. These are multiple views, but let me go over some that are very important and prevalent today so you understand, because they're proponents of each of these. You may be one of them. Saying this, if we have a different view of end times, it does not matter. We can still worship together. We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ, because humans have a tendency to debate everything anyways. So let me talk about some of the debatable things and what's non-debatable. Amillennialism. It's a hard word. Amillennialism. It's a single event, folks. With them, there's no distinction between the rapture or the second coming. No distinction. It introduces the eternal state. Basically, it's the end of the church age. Okay? That's their view. Another one is post-millennialism. As it sounds, it's a single event with no distinction between the rapture or the second coming. It's when Christ returns after the millennium. Millennium. I don't like those double L's. Historic premillennialism. It's the rapture and second coming happening, happening simultaneously. They see it as one thing happening, uh, and, and it's after the tribulation. After the tribulation, Christ reigns, uh, returns to reign on earth. It's a view. We have three views right there. And then there's dispensational premillennialism. I know these are huge words. You don't have to remember them. By the way, if you ever want to learn more about these, just call me. If you want to meet privately, we can go over all this. But dispensational premillennialism, it's a second coming in two phases. First, the rapture of the church. It's the rapture of the church, like we're talking about here in the clouds. The second coming is when Christ actually comes to earth and sets foot on the Mount of Olives. It'd be seven years later after the tribulation. And another part to this is some believe in this, however, they believe it happens in the middle of the tribulation, tribulation excuse me, at a three-and-a-half-year mark. So if I was to introduce myself based on these views, if I had to greet, greet you, I'd be say, hi, I'm Mark Tanner. I'm a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial dispensationalist. Say that fast, right? I truly believe, and just to give you my view, I believe that the church is raptured and saved from wrath. I do. I believe that we are collected in a rapture, and our eternity starts right then and there because we never leave the Lord. I believe that we come back with Christ when He reigns in that millennium. Millennium. And I believe Satan is cast down into the abyss. I do. I believe he comes back a thousand years later, and guess what? Him and a group try it again, defeated, lake of fire. We, of course, are ready with Christ, our eternity is the end, but we continue in our eternal bliss with Christ. These are multiple views. Yes, there are many, and they're debatable. You could debate me on what I believe. Absolutely. It's the view I hold on the end times. Yours may be different. But what cannot be debated in all of the views is the fact that Jesus returns. That's the core of this. Christ returns. He returns for His people, and He cannot be debated, nor can the rapture, which is what is being described in our text. Now, theologians, as well as everyday Christians, they will debate, they will argue over the sequence of events, the when it will happen. Do you know how many people, especially cult leaders, avoid them, have predicted dates. When someone tells you a date or a day that they think Christ is returning, turn around and walk the other way as fast as you can. 
We don't know that information belongs to the Father alone. But we cannot debate the fact that He is coming back. We can't argue against that or the rapture. And this is Paul's primary focus for the Thessalonian church. It's to reassure them that their dead have not been forgotten because God does not forget. That their dead will be a part of this great event. And that their dead will rise first, even before those that are alive. They come first. They are cared for. They are loved, and they are in the presence of God as you read this letter. Now, what's truly awesome, though, what is truly awesome is what is happening, what is happening to the dead and the living in this being caught up. There is a great transformation taking place, a great transformation, and we will all be changed, all of us. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 54. So I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now this is important. This is important. We're going to go over all the points of encouragement here. Our bodies can be placed in a mausoleum. Our bodies can be buried. Some bodies are preserved through the embalming process. Some aren't. They're buried immediately. But you know what else? We have cremation, which is just speeding up the process of what's happening. By the way, the process of embalming is mainly just for the loved ones to view. Everybody turns back to dust. You don't, your body doesn't stay intact. And and I'm going somewhere with this. You know what? There's some that have died at sea. Some have been buried at sea where the water elements and sea life, right, takes takes the effect on the body there. There's been animals. Yes, I hate to be gory, but people have been eaten by animals. Um, People have been ravaged by, their bodies ravaged in horrific wrecks, whether it be by land or air, Bodies all end up dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Nobody's preserved in this body because it's perishable. So we bury our loved ones based on basically feeling, right? Or their wishes. But in truth, we all end up the same. We all turn back to that dust, whether it's prolonged or the inevitable inevitable takes its effect quicker. We become part of the earth like a seed being planted. And I want you to think about this, like a seed being planted. Our bodies, folks, uh, are not reconstructed. I get this a lot. Our bodies are not reconstructed. They are resurrected. Let me explain. God's not in heaven looking down. My goodness, I found two-thirds of this guy. I can't find the rest. Yeah. Right? How am I going to put him together? 
oh, well, this person's been in the grave for, you know, 600 years, and this one was cremated, and it's identical. How am I going to put them back together? God is not reconstructing. God is resurrecting. So, our resurrected bodies will retain an identity with the body that was buried, okay? It will. Just like a seed that is planted in the ground has identity with the seed that it'll produce in the plant, the seed in the ground dies, folks, as it produces the new seed. So the resurrected body will retain identity. It will retain continuity of the body that was buried, that seed that was planted. The resurrection is not reconstruction of the old body. Why? 1 Corinthians 15.42 says this, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is buried? What is cremated? What is torn apart by whatever the elements are? That is what is sown perishable. What is raised is imperishable. i got to tell you this. Let's talk about our bodies for a second. We're prone to injury. We're prone to sickness. We're prone to disease. We're frail, frail, right? I mean, our bodies can barely make it 100 years. Does anybody here wake up every morning with new aches and pains that they can't describe? <laughs> and where did that come from? Yeah, I can't even sit with this broken tailbone. Y'all think I'm trying to be cool in my chair, leaning to the side? That's a broken tailbone. My wife used some kind of detergent with soap, and my body, my skin's reacting weird. I'm itching like crazy. It's a little uncomfortable. This is a frail body. Do you think this body will last for an eternity? Do you think yours will? Absolutely not, folks. That's why we are not reconstructed. Um, I will tell you, we need perfect bodies like that of Jesus when He was resurrected. If we're going to enjoy an eternity with God, right, we need that perfected body. You know, I can't wait to experience this new body. I will tell you, I don't know, I can't even imagine what we're going to be able to do. I, sky can't even be the limit for what we'll be able to do. But I can tell you how limited I am in this body because it's perishable. This body one day will be the dead seed that's planted until Christ returns in my resurrected body, the imperishable. So the Bible tells us that this natural body is sown. This is what is sown, and the spiritual body is raised. Do you understand how comforted people are when they understand that it's not this body? And there are a lot of people that believe that. Here's another thing that is so cool, and I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but remember, the whole point of this was that the church in Thessalonica be concerned, that was concerned about their dead being left out. That's what they were concerned about, correct, uh, when Jesus returns. Not only do they not miss out, they don't miss out, all of you, Paul's saying, all of you will be reunited Did you get that? We're born at different times, aren't we? Yeah. We've come to Christ at different times. We'll all die at different times unless Christ returns and we go up in the rapture. But we will, uh, uh, are born, our death, our coming to Christ, it's different times. But this event that's happening in the clouds, it will be a corporate event. I will be doing this with you. (laughs) You'll be doing this with me. You will be reunited with all those that have passed before you. Because God is bringing down the Spirit to reunite with the glorified body. Then us that are alive, we will be reunited, transformed in a twinkling of an eye. But it says we're all going to be together. 
The end of verse 17 tells us that, that the dead and the living will be caught up, all of us together, and here you will see your loved ones, Thessalonica. You're going to see your loved ones who died. So our text states that we will be together with them in the most beautiful part, and so we will always be with the Lord. Hey, it is not wrong. Hear me, church. It is not wrong for us to wonder about the sequence of events. It's not wrong for us to talk about end times and debate. It's not, as long as we do it in humility. Because guess what? We have multiple views. We have multiple views of this. We may hold different views of His timing of His return, but again, we all agree on His return and in the rapture of His church. This is why Paul says in our very last verse, and of course the title of our message, it says, therefore encourage one another with these words. So let me recap. You have hope. This is what Thessalonica church had. They had hope. First, our hope is in Jesus' death and resurrection. We talked about that. Two real events his death and resurrection. We are united with Him in both of these, so we have hope. Church family, if you didn't know this, today sitting here, your hope is in His death and resurrection, and you are united with Him in this. So encourage one another with these words. We also know that God will reunite the spirits of those who have died with their glorified bodies, and this along with those who are living as well, that will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We're all going to be reunited into glorified bodies. We will all see each other again in this state, encourage each other with these words. Not only do we meet Jesus, but we'll see all those that passed. We'll see all those who passed. We'll be together with them and I can't express, I know the people in my life that have passed that I want to see again. I know you have them. Don't you have them? I mean, granted, I want to meet Jesus more than anyone else. That is going to just be, I can't even put it into words what that's going to be like. But then to see those that have gone before me that I long to see, that I love, that I mourned over, that I cried over, what an event. Can you even imagine that event? And of course, our eternity with Jesus Christ begins. Listen, no matter what comes next, whatever God has planned, we will always, the Bible says, from that point, we will always be with the Lord. We will never be separated. Because what can separate us from the love of God anyways? Nothing. So like Paul says, let us encourage each other with these words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a gift. And I don't even think we can, we're able to grasp and take in this gift. Father, the end result of our faith is salvation. Scripture tells us that. And we're seeing salvation written for us right here as Paul is trying to teach the Thessalonians about their dead. We see salvation at work. Father, you're calling everyone back to you. With that cry of command, with the, with the voice of the archangel, with that trumpet, Father, you're calling us to you. We're coming to meet you in the clouds, Father, and we will be reunited with all of your church. 
We'll be glorified. We'll be ready for an eternity with you because it starts. Father, what a gift you have given us. And I don't know if we can just fathom that, Father. It's a win-win. I know being a Christian is tough, Lord. We know that. Being a Christian is hard. But look at the benefits that we have. Look at the result of our faith. Father God, what an encouraging thought to know that death, we'll never understand death, Father. We never will. But it doesn't affect the Christian. We live with you forever. Whether you call us home, Father, we die naturally here on earth. We will always be with our Lord and Savior. We will be changed, and that change is so that we uh, put on the immortal, that we put on the imperishable, Father. We will be walking with you through an eternity, Father God. What a gift! Sometimes we forget what the end result looks like. We forget the end game, Father. But let us be encouraged by this text, Father. Let us be able to share this with others because this should get us excited knowing what's in store. It's protected. Your Holy Spirit guarantees this for us. We're marked. We're sealed. And that's all because of your love and your grace, nothing on our part. Father God, we give you all the praise and all the glory right now. This is your work, and we get, we get all the reward. We get all the benefit from your work. So we're grateful today. We thank you, Lord, that this is what you have in store for us. We praise you for that. Lord, I just love you. I thank you for, the, for everyone that could be here, and I thank you for this day, Father God. Thank you so, so much. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.